1: edition of BFTPM here on peacock shereen williams mike florio here with you getting you ready for week six of the 2020 nfl season i do this every year i've been doing this every year since i've been old enough to really comprehend the passage of time i can't believe it's already week six are you feeling the same way
2: I'm sort of the other way, Mike. I mean, it just seems like we should be in week 12 to me. This just dawned on me today. I'm like, is it really only week six? So it's sort of flying. But on the other hand, with all the COVID stuff going on, it seems like we should be farther along.
1: Yeah, and it's week six of who knows how many weeks. (laughs) 18, 19, maybe more, we'll see. And we have to open the show with what is now pretty much a daily feature. We need to have a name for it. I mean, it's kind of the Clarence Beaks crop report, although like 10% of the audience gets that. But every day we hold our breath to see where the hot spots may be, where the teams are that may have issues. And there've only been a handful relative to all 32 so far, but it stands out when it happens. So today two issues one the Patriots a lingering problem there although they firmly believe they don't have an outbreak they've added another player to the COVID-19 reserve list it's James Ferentz offensive lineman and the standards have changed for how you get on it now too it's not just a positive test they're not going to screw around with anyone who was in sufficiently close contact with someone who is positive because they don't want to take the chance of getting the virus in the building if the person later does test positive and it's smart because there is that lag between when you collect the sample, when you get the result, and the person could be shedding virus in between. So it seems like the bar has gone up or down, whichever way results in more placement on COVID-19 reserve. But everything's still on, Shereen, for the Patriots to host the Broncos on Sunday, a week later than it was supposed to happen.
2: Yeah, you know, I was on the conference call with Dr. Alan Seals, the NFL's chief medical officer, twice this week, including yesterday, and they're just getting way more strict in, in, you know, with cold and flu season coming up. They don't know if the symptoms that players report are actually cold and flu symptoms or are they COVID symptoms. A lot of them are the same between the two, so they don't know. So they're going to send people home uh, in lieu of anything else. And then, of course, if you get a, a positive is it a false positive or is it really a positive? So they, I think they've learned a lot through the Patriots situation and particularly through the Tennessee Titans situation of what they need to do and don't do. And you look at a player like Matt Pryor of the Eagles who went on the COVID-19 reserve list uh, today and won't play on Sunday. Well, he didn't actually test positive for COVID. What happened was he came in and reported someone that he was around did test positive outside the organization. And so out of an abundance of caution, they've placed him on the COVID list. So I think we're going to see a lot more of these, Mike, uh, as we move forward, just because we are getting into cold and flu season and the, and the symptoms are the same.
1: A couple of things. they're putting a lot of faith in the honor system here, because when players realize they're getting shut down for a game or a practice or whatever, because they were too candid about who they were in contact with, they may just decide, you know what, let's just let it ride. Let's see if I test positive. If I test positive, then it's an issue. And there's plenty of guys that think it's no big deal. There's plenty of people who think it's not even a real thing in our society. So it wouldn't surprise me if some guys decide to zip it when it comes to whether or not there's someone in their household that tested positive because they don't want to be deprived of the ability to play. Players want to get on the field because they know if it's next man up, they may be out. My other point is this I wonder, and I'm going to choose my words carefully here to an extent. I wonder how much of the changes we've seen are the result of things the NFL has learned that it couldn't have known, or the NFL catching up to what it should have been doing all along. And I say that for one very important reason. I got a ton of respect for Dr. Alan Sills. He's a brain guy, not an epidemiologist. And that's a huge distinction as it relates to the various disciplines in the field of medicine. You know, when I practice law, I specialized in labor and employment cases. If somebody came to me one day and said, hey, how'd you like to handle a medical malpractice case? i said, how'd you like me to lose a medical malpractice case? Because I'm not suited to do it. It's not where I've concentrated my practice. And, and I'd, I'd love to know exactly who the epidemiologists are that the NFL is relying on and why there isn't an epidemiologist running point here. And again, I'm trying not to disrespect Dr. Sills, but I think at some level, he's got to be thinking, how did I draw this short straw? This isn't my area of expertise. No more than we'd want Dr. Anthony Fauci to perform brain surgery. So there really is that question. I mention it because a coach raised with me not that long ago. When we look at the struggles the NFL currently is having, The question is, is it bad players or is it a bad playbook? And we really don't know. And there's really no way to know.
2: Yeah, there is no way to know, Mike. And I know this. I know Alan Sills is the face for the NFL. He comes out and speaks whenever they have press conferences to talk about COVID-19. Behind the scenes, we don't really know if he's the point guy. Maybe they do have an, an expert in that field uh, who is really running things, who Alan Seals is listening to. And I know they have several teams uh, in the background, medical teams. They have one for contact tracing and they have one for actual COVID cases. And And so they go those directions. Once they have a positive test, they try to figure it out if it's a false positive or a real positive and do all the contract, contact tracing and everything else they need to do. But he is definitely the face for the NFL when it comes to COVID-19 cases, whether he's really running the show behind the scenes that's what we don't know and we don't know how many people they have or really what they're doing and you're right I think they have learned a lot but did they start behind the eight ball at the beginning not being fully prepared we kept talking in the offseason oh they've got plenty of time they've got plenty of time and there does seem to be a point in there when they wasted some of that time that they had
1: and some of the th- these things they're learning on the fly maybe they should have already known and should have been prepared for from the get-go the Colts provided us with a scare today they were the team that got the bad initial crop report from clarence beaks four positives and this tells you how bad the false positive problem is with the nfl that a team that has maybe 170 daily tests can get four of them positive and the initial response is hang on they may all be false. Like, how in the hell are these all false? What's going on at these laboratories that there are so many false positives? And then you flip it around, how many false negatives are there? False negatives worse because, number one, you don't find out about it. You just get a positive the next day. It's not like, well, it was a false negative. For all they know, that's when the guy turned positive. It may have been positive the day before and shedding virus in the facility, on teammates, on opponents, et cetera. But Jim Ursay kept everyone up to date via Twitter, of what was happening with the Indianapolis Colts. Initially, he let everyone know, retweeting the Colts statement. We will update everyone ASAP when they pointed out they had multiple positives that were being retested. And then Kevin Bacon-style in Animal House, although this one did turn out slightly better than the parade. All is well. Details shortly. Colts-Bengals, 1 p.m. Sunday. And the game is still on. And this has happened now, what, three times in the last week? Jets last Friday, Falcons on Thursday— Colts on Friday three out of seven days we've had this whoops there's a positive stay tuned for further details oh it's a false positive positive. and you know what's going to happen people are going to get numb to it and eventually it's not going to be a false positive and somebody's going to have a problem on a Friday or a Saturday right before a game
2: well and that's kind of what we had with the Patriots last week we had two days before game time we had a positive and and we saw the changes they had to make. And you know we've talked about this repeatedly, Mike. They're almost out of of being able to switch games around because we are into bye weeks. Teams have Some teams have already had their bye week. Other teams are having their bye weeks this week. Moving around games is not going to be as easy as it was a week or two weeks or three weeks ago. And more and more of these are going to happen. And we are going to have to have games moved around. We already have two games Monday night if we would have to have a game postponed, say there's more positives tomorrow, or the Colts test come back positive tomorrow. We have to move a game around and push it back. It's going to be Tuesday again. We're going to have another Tuesday uh, game. But we're just running out of dates, really, to move these games around. It Eventually, we're either going to have to go to a week 18, as we've talked about, or they're going to have to throw up their hands and say, hey, the games that don't get played, they're just being thrown out. Some teams will play 16 games. Some teams will play 15 games, whatever it is, and we're going to go and win percentage.
1: I predict there will be a Week 18. I predict there will be a Week 19. I don't think they'll go any farther than that. But I do believe that they will continue to perform major surgery on the schedule as needed. They hope to not need it. But you're right, with each week, as teams take their buys or as they use buys prematurely to accommodate games they have to reschedule, that's fewer options for the computer program that they have at 345 Park Avenue where they punch in the game, they get their options. Eventually, sooner rather than later... When they do it, the answer is going to be you're screwed and you're going to have to add an 18th week if you want to get that game in. I hope it doesn't get to the point where they don't play games. I really do. And Peter King made the point earlier today on PFT Live when, you know, the Falcons-Vikings game yesterday was somewhat tenuous. Maybe this is one you say, we'll make it up later, or maybe we won't. If the Vikings are 5-10 and 10, and the Falcons are 3-12 and 12, and both are mathematically eliminated, what's the point? I still hope they find a way to play all the games for a variety of reasons, especially because even though the league won't talk about this, you do want there to be integrity both as to the playoff tree and as to the top 10 in the draft. And you want to give the bad teams their full and fair chance to lose games so that they can maybe improve their draft position. That is something that the fans think about, the teams think about. And I just think that you get all 256 games in, and you don't have any asterisks that maybe get applied. There was no asterisk in 82 with nine games played per team. No asterisk in 1987 with 15 games, but every team played the same number of games. I think you start you start tossing around asterisks on this season if you start having teams play fewer than 16 games, Shereen.
2: There's one thing they've, they won't answer, Mike, and that's what the trigger point is to suspend the season. And there's got to be a trigger point. I mean, they know what it is, obviously. But they are just focused on getting by week by week. And it truly, uh, using coach, coach speak, is a week by week proposition. They're just trying to get through this week. And then they'll think about next week and hope they don't have any positives next week. But Roger Goodell was on the call earlier this week and said, we are planning right now to play all 256 games. We're planning to play them in a 17-week span. And the playoffs are on schedule as they are right now with the Super Bowl set on the same date that it was. But I'm with you. I think eventually they are going to have to push games back. I think we will have a week 18. I don't know if I have a week 19, but I do think we'll have a week 18. You throw out the bye week. We're not having a Pro Bowl anyway. We weren't going to have one. Nobody cares. You throw out that week and you have the playoffs back them up a week. And here we go. Super Bowl still on track.
1: Yeah, you know, that's the one thing that's been overlooked this week. With no Pro Bowl, you can push the accordion in and just have one week between championship weekend and the Super Bowl. The last time they did that was Super Bowl 37, Raiders-Buccaneers. That was the last time they went one week between the two games. And big deal, because you know what? Nobody's going to Tampa. Nobody's setting up shop at the convention center. Players aren't going to come to do interviews. Radio stations aren't going to go there. we I'd be shocked if we go there and do our show from there. It's just not going to happen this year. So there's no reason to have the week of preparation for the week in Tampa and everything that goes along with the Super Bowl. It's just not in the cards for this season. All right, one of the 256 games, actually two every year, the Browns and the Steelers. It's been a lopsided series in recent years. This year... Look out! The Browns are four and one. The Steelers are four and zero for the first time since 1979. I can't believe it's been that long, but they haven't been impressive in any of their wins over opponents who aren't all that impressive in the grand scheme of things. So, the Browns have some injury issues. Let's start there. Shereen. Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, all questionable for the game, and Beckham missing practice yesterday and today under this new protocol where. If you have any type of flu-like symptom, home you go. And even though he was negative for the virus yesterday in his PCR off-site testing, they still didn't let him come to work today. He's expected to come back tomorrow. But what do they really do on Saturday anyway? But all three questionable, all three critical to the prospects of the Browns if they want to get to five and one and beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh for the first time since two thousand and three.
2: And it looks like all three are going to play. Mike, you know Baker Mayfield said after the game last week that he was going to play he went back into the game with that rib injury and yes he's questionable but i'd be very surprised if if Baker mayfield doesn't play in this game uh and and then Odell Beckham he tests negative again tomorrow he will be back in the building and we know he'll play it's not an injury it's it's a you know covid like symptoms which are flu-like symptoms whatever he had but it wasn't COVID or he hasn't tested for covid yet so he needs one more negative test and then Jarvis Landry, I think, is going to play, too. To me, he sounds like he's the most questionable of the three guys, but I would expect him to be out there. And Kevin Stefanski said today how tough that Jarvis Landry is, that he's always on the field, he can always count on him, and I think the Browns are going to count on him again this week. And I think they will have all three guys in there. The question becomes, how close to 100% are Jarvis Landry and Baker Mayfield? They need both of those guys really close to 100% if they're going to have a chance to beat the Steelers.
1: And there was a bit of an indirect clue today when the Browns added Kyle Laletta, a fourth-round pick in 2018 of the Giants, to the practice squad because the Browns previously had two guys on the entire roster, including the practice squad, at quarterback, Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum. So if Mayfield can't play, it's Kyle Laletta to the active roster and maybe what they'll do is bring him up anyway there's that new twist this year where you can bring a guy up twice and send him back down without passing through waivers not that it matters because Loletta was available to anyone up until today but you can put him on the active roster go with three quarterbacks on Sunday have that extra insurance policy in the event Mayfield can't go and Shireen, they'll be fine with Case Keenum Keenum's best season came in 2017 in Minnesota With Kevin Stefanski as the quarterback's coach, coincidentally, Keenum's first start that year in place of Sam Bradford came in Pittsburgh. It didn't go well, but it was one of the rare losses the rest of the way for the Vikings with Case Keenum. He can extend the play laterally. He can throw the ball very effectively. He knows the offense. I don't think there would be as big of a drop-off as people realize if Baker Mayfield doesn't play, and we have to actually hold open the possibility of another Dr. Needle incident we saw it with Tyrod Taylor. They're probably going to give Baker Mayfield a painkilling injection, and we know there could be a complication. So Keenum better be ready because he could find out, just like Justin Herbert did several weeks ago, right before kickoff, you're the guy.
2: And that's exactly why they brought in Case Keenum because he knows Kevin's defense, offense, and he did go 11-3 and uh, with the Vikings that year and actually played because of an injury, right? He got in the starting lineup the same way. So he does know the offense. I think he'd be ready to go and... And and would be good. As you said, I look at him a lot like Nick Foles. I don't think he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. And I still don't think Nick Foles is a starting quarterback long-term in the NFL. Never started more than 11 games in a season. But I think Case Keenum and Nick Foles both are great backups to have. And I think when they come in for short periods of time that they can play very well and you don't miss a beat. And so they brought him in here to do just that. And if they need him, I think he'll come in. I agree with you. I don't think there's going to be a big drop off with the Browns if he has to play this week.
1: Yeah, I agree with you completely. Now for the Steelers, they have a couple of guys that they'll be missing on offense. Deontay Johnson out with a back injury. It was his injury last week during the Eagles game that opened the door for Chase Claypool. Claypool told me after the game he wasn't expecting to have the kind of role that he did until Johnson exited with the injury. Johnson listed as a starter. Claypool gets another opportunity, and they're going to need him to play close to like he did last week. They don't need four touchdowns from him to beat the Browns, but it would be nice if he could do four again. David DeCastro out with an abdominal injury, so two starters down for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And one of the big storylines of this game, although it's not as big as it would be if Mason Rudolph was actually playing, it's the Miles Garrett Mason Rudolph altercation from last year on that Thursday night in Cleveland Browns actually won the game 21 to 7. Easy to forget that because the Miles Garrett assault on on Mason Rudolph ended up taking all the air out of the balloon that night. Here's Miles Garrett asking or being asked by reporters if he will approach Mason Rudolph when they're both on the field come Sunday. I haven't thought
0: about it. No. Focus on how I'm going to get to Ben, but you know, I'll cross that bridge when I come to whether that's you know, down the road or you know, whenever we see each other. I'm just I'm focused on our game, planning, getting the win. That, that comes secondary.
1: And I think that's smart. And listen, the NFL doesn't want that to be the, the focal point of this game. I was on ESPN Radio in Cleveland today, and they said, why didn't they make this game a primetime game? Why didn't they play this up? They don't want to play that up. They don't want this to be the story. They don't want this soap opera premised on a guy whacking an opponent who didn't have a helmet on over the head with his own helmet. They just want it to go away, Shireen.
2: They absolutely want it to go away. And I I think another thing that kind of puts it in the background is the fact that there's only going to be 6,000 fans in the stands. I think it would be far uglier if Three Rivers, well, if Heinz Field was was full. I still want to call it Three Rivers Stadium, but if Heinz Field was full... I think it would be a different thing entirely. But it's not, and Mason Rudolph's not playing. And another thing, Mike, that, that makes it even more in the shadows is the fact that reporters aren't allowed in the locker room, right? Every player has to be available in the locker room if reporters are going into the locker room. Well, who do you think they would have talked to this week? Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph didn't talk this week. So I think that would have made it a bigger storyline, too, if reporters had actually gone to the locker room and gotten Mason Rudolph and had him talk and we rehashed the whole thing over again. But both teams have done a good job of downplaying it. They're not going to forget it. It will be in the forefront of their minds when they go on the field uh, and they'll be thinking about it for sure. But it is not the number one storyline with the Browns playing the way they are.
1: I am much more courteous to you than I would be to Chris Sims because if he would call the place where the Steelers play Three Rivers Stadium, I would be making sarcastic comments like, yeah, I can understand why you'd make the mistake. I mean, it was just 20 years ago that they built Heinz Field. So uh, um, I corrected it. (laughs) I know you did. You did. But, uh, you know, I I never think of it as Three Rivers Stadium because I've been in both. And to be in Three Rivers Stadium and to be in Heinz Field, it's a night and day difference in the two facilities. All right. Packers and the Buccaneers playing at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, The precursor was what Chris Berman called the big sombrero, and this is the game that he called the Bay of Pigs. It's the Bay of Goats this weekend with Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Can you believe they've only faced each other in 37 combined years in the NFL? Twice. This is only number three. That's amazing to me, Shireen, that they haven't played more often than that. And I I guess that means we should savor every time that the two of them cross paths now that they're in the same conference.
2: Yeah, they went one and one against each other. They split the two games. And, you know, being in different conferences, you would only play every once in a while. What's most amazing about that is the fact that they never met in a Super Bowl because we're talking about two teams that were really good that got to Super Bowls. And they never met in a Super Bowl, right? Uh, The two of them, I don't think they met in a Super Bowl, did they? Which two? Rodgers and and Brady. They never met in a Super Bowl. No, they came
1: close. No, they came close, but they never did. They came close. Right.
2: Right. Right. That's amazing, though. As good as those two teams were and as many Super Bowls as they went to, the fact that they never met in a Super Bowl is just amazing to me. More than the fact that they have only played two times, because you don't expect that with one in the NFC and one in the AFC. But amazing they never met in a Super Bowl.
1: They almost got together in the year they were going to play the Super Bowl at Three River Stadium. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to let it go. I'm just I'm in one of those moods. I'm not going to let it I go. I love it. Uh, um, all right. One of the realities for Tom Brady is he's got a bunch of injured receivers, and Bruce Arians talked today about how that puts, you know, not necessarily stress per se, but it is different. Brady's at practice throwing to one group of guys, and then in the game he's going to be throwing to the, to the guys who aren't able to practice, and it, it really isn't good for continuity for that to happen but it's always good to have your best receivers on the field. Here is Arians talking about the prospect of getting Chris Godwin back from a hamstring injury.
3: Chris practiced the majority of the week and it's the best he's looked in a while. Um, He's still sore but uh, you know he was able to get in front of the quarterback and and show that he can he's got what he needs to have for this ball game and uh, it was good to see him out there because people don't realize how big of a, a part of our offense he is.
1: You know, I bet Arian spent a half hour later that day looking for his damn sunglasses. But uh, anyway, uh, (laughs) that's quite a look. You are in a mood today. (laughs) The real glasses on the bottom and the sunglasses on top. Um, but, But look, they need God when they need Mike Evans. They need these skill position players back. And they need them at practice in order to get the most out of this offense. That's the problem. Last year... Tom Brady had a lot of healthy guys that weren't very good this year. He's got a lot of really good guys who can't stay healthy, and that's going to be a problem sooner than later, and it could be a problem this weekend because you know, it's a fundamental difference between Brady and Rodgers, Shereen, You can put Rodgers out there with anybody, and I know that my increasing fandom of Aaron Rodgers is showing when I say this. You can put him out there with anybody, and it's going to work. Brady needs to have high-end talent out there on the field with him to be the absolute best he can be.
2: It didn't always used to be that way, but it certainly is no. that way now. We saw that last year, and and he does have great talent, probably the best talent he's ever had at the receiver position, but both of those guys, Godwin uh, and Mike Evans, both have been banged up all year long, and Scotty Miller became his favorite receiver because he was always out there and he got to practice with him, and And in games, he felt comfortable with him, And he has not found, regained that comfort level that he had with Rob Gronkowski. Whether Gronkowski's done or not, I don't know. Or he's just still getting the rust off, who knows. But he hasn't been a part of this offense. So because he hasn't been a big part of this offense, and O.J. Howard's now gone, they do need Godwin. They do need Evans. And they need him in practice so Tom Brady can get some timing down with those guys.
1: Yeah, I uh, I agree with all of that, and it should be a great game in that late afternoon slot. The third game this year for Tom Brady in a big spot, and he's 0-2. Week 1, 425 p.m. Eastern, lost to the Saints. Week 5, lost in prime time to the Bears, and now another one. Oh, and the next week, he goes to Las Vegas on Sunday Night Football to take on the Raiders. The Vikings are hosting the Falcons. This is a, if they don't win this game, it's over type of a game for the Minnesota Vikings and the Falcons, maybe they get the artificial interim head coach bump from Raheem Morris, who knows. But the, the one thing we do know, Dalvin Cook, as expected, out with the groin injury that he suffered last week in the second half of the game against the Seattle Seahawks, Alexander Madison gets the start. And look, he had over 100 rushing yards last week. He had that, that uh, fateful moment where he failed to see an 18-foot gap to his right where he could have iced the game. And as I said earlier today, you know, Mike Zimmer, The Bill Parcells disciple, I'm sure that he needled Madison a few times this week just to make damn sure he gets him riled up so he goes out and has a big game. And he should be able to because, again, if the Vikings can't beat the Falcons, the Vikings, Shireen, going into their bye week with the Packers in Green Bay on the other side of it, they're done.
2: They absolutely have to win. And you wish they would have Dalvin Cook in the lineup, but they do have confidence in Alexander Madison. And Gary Kubiak said they won't change their offense at all. Uh, with Alexander Madison in there. But it tells you how good Cook is, the fact that he didn't even finish the game the other day. Now, he did try to come back. That tells you about his toughness, because he tried to come back and was a decoy on the one play that t- ended up being a turnover. But he was a decoy on that play, and he just couldn't go uh, with the injury. But it tells you how tough he is, but still leads the league in rushing by a lot. And he has been that good. But again, an injury takes him out of the lineup, which was his problem early in his career. He just couldn't stay in the lineup. But with the bye week, hopefully he gets back and can continue to do what he's uh, done all year, which is lead the league in rushing and be an integral part of that offense. But they're going to have to do without him this week, and they're going to have to do without him in a must-win game. It's fortunate the opponent they have because they can win this one, get the bye week, and then get Dalvin Cook back.
1: Patriots were supposed to have their bye this week. They had it unscheduled last week. This week, they host the Broncos. Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston will be joining us after the break to get us ready for the Patriots' first game in two weeks. We'll be right back.
0: I wouldn't be able to really talk about anybody that's not a member of our team now, so... Um... So I have to pass on that one. Uh, You know, whatever I've said about uh, Bell before on the record is, you know, I stand by that for sure.
1: That's Bill Belichick talking about Le'Veon Bell, who eventually signed with the Kansas City Chiefs, as we all know. Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston joins us now. Tom, I want to start right there because here's how it works with the Patriots as far as I'm concerned. If you hear they're interested in a guy, they're not. If you don't hear about it, that's when he's still in play because the way they do business is they intimidate everyone into keeping their damn mouths shut. So behind the scenes, how close did they come to taking a serious run at Le'Veon Bell? Because I pulled up the quotes from past years. Last year, a few years before that, Bill Belichick loves Le'Veon Bell and now he may have to deal with him in the playoffs.
3: He was a little bit revealing in terms of talking about his running back room and what he likes about the guys who are on the roster. So I thought that that was at least a nod to who he has here. But it is Le'Veon Bell. And the only guy on their roster who they have who is even close to similar to it is Rex Burkett, can run, can catch the ball. That's not something James White really does. So to me, you have a guy who's half again as good as Rex Burkhead, at least 50% better than that player. So he had to be intriguing in some ways, but um, – It is interesting, Mike, that that is the way it's done. And uh, you either play by those particular rules over the course of two decades. And then when you say, I'm not going to really do that anymore, it's it's very minimal upside for me in doing that. Then even the little stuff that you get, drip, drip, drip starts to go away. Hi. How
2: how much would Le'Veon have helped them, Tom, overall? I mean, the running game and Cam, I mean, Cam's been the biggest part of their running game so
3: far. I think it would have helped hugely, Shireen, because with him, you have somebody who is so unbelievably patient and just a savant at how to set up blocks and use them. The Patriots have the second-best offensive line in the league by metrics right now, PFF, among some others. And if you put him in shotgun, riding side saddle with Cam Newton in a read option, I mean, that's going to freeze a defense for a while. And they're already doing that with Rex Burkhead. If it's if it's Le'Veon Bell, it would have been uh, an altering situation for every defense. But isn't it interesting, Michael, when you look at it, the Patriots may not be the destination that they had been. Usually it would have been, oh, I want to get to New England ASAP so I can get my ring. Well, that might not be it right now.
1: But, but did they uh, – look, I, that's all the more reason for them to try to outbid the Chiefs, to try to – try to keep him away from going to a team that is one of the favorites to get a ring and making the hard sell that if you join us we got a better chance of being the team that advances out of the AFC do you know whether or not they made an aggressive attempt to try to keep him from going to the Chiefs because you have a net gain there you keep him from the Chiefs and you get him to help you yeah but from everything I understand they they did not do that from what I understand again I've not
3: been really told that uh, aggressively by anyone in the know but here's the thing Mike To what end? To what end in 2020 is adding Le'Veon Bell for the Patriots? Makes him a better team. Does it get him out of the AFC? Does it mean he's going to be with them next year? No. But who cares about next year? It's only one year Everybody cares about next year. That's why we had a Jimmy Garoppolo controversy here for the last six years. Everybody cares about next year here. You don't know if Kim Newton's going to be back. You don't know if Jared Stidham. You don't know if it's some other free agent who's going to pop up. Dwayne Haskins. Who knows? That's what's interesting about these guys. They have had so much success that I do think, Michael and Shereen, that they are sometimes in a mood where, yeah, we're not going to leverage that. They threw good money after bad in terms of draft picks with Mohamed Sanu. So it, it's, it's, it, it's a great conversation. I'm sorry I yelled at you, but you would yell at me.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm used to being yelled at by you especially since it's after Tom. five o'clock on a Friday, I figured you've probably gotten yourself started on your Friday night activity. So I expect more noise from you. I'm just kidding. I know you haven't. <laughs> I know you wouldn't do that.
3: After I you're do- off Tom, the air, Cam-
1: it's a different thing.
2: Are we going to talk COVID Tom- here or not? Yeah. Well, that's my next question. Sure, Tom. Cam Cam Newton, and- but we
1: won't shut up.
2: Yeah. Uh, T- Cam Newton and, and Stephon Gilmore obviously returned to practice yesterday. James Ference now on the COVID list. What is the latest on, on the COVID cases with the Patriots, and you expect them to play this week?
3: Here's what's so fascinating about it, because there is so much information out there, and I do feel as if there is very much an untied and dangling string left over from last weekend. As far as we know, this one positive of backup center recently re-signed James Ference is the lone situation the Patriots have in terms of a positive. The previous one was a positive last Sunday, we all remember, with Byron Cowart, who's a defensive lineman. Prior to that, it was a quarterback, Cam Newton, a cornerback, Stephon Gilmore, and a backup a practice squad defensive lineman. So it's all over the place. It's like whack-a-mole. But the dangling thread here was dropped by Adam Schefter after it was reported that Gilmore had returned positive. And Adam Schefter's on the radio, and he says to Philadelphia radio station, no, it doesn't surprise me, Cam and Steph Gilmore are out to dinner. That's news. It's not news that they went to dinner. They're both teammates. They're in close contact. I don't think it's a great sin for them to go to dinner. However, if on Friday they were out to dinner, and the NFL then says, it's okay if you were out to dinner with him on Friday, you can still get on the plane. I think that is newsworthy. So that's where the news starts. Did the NFL say, yeah, that's still not a high-risk contact? If not, why not? Alan Sills, of course, said there were no high-risk contacts with the Patriots, even though that definition didn't exist last week and does now. So did they decide he wasn't high-risk? Did they know about the dinner? Did the dinner even happen? Because Gabrielle Gilmore, Gilmore's wife, has since said that didn't happen. It did. It did. Okay, so why was he on the plane? Where is the
1: disconnect?
3: Uh, Is it the player?
1: Is it the league? Hang on. Why was there even a separate plane with 20 people that had close contact with Cam Newton? That, why why even put the guys on the second plane? See, this gets back to something Shereen no, 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 and I no. talked Mike, about. Mike, this is,
3: I, I differ with you strongly on that. The reason being, the Patriots went above and beyond in providing a close okay. contact plane. Not a high-risk close contact plane. I got you. Alan Sills is the one who said, go ahead, fly.
1: But, but but here's the thing, and this is something Shereen and I were talking about earlier. How much of this is stuff that they're learning on the fly? Mm-hmm. How much of it is stuff they should have known before they started the season? And these procedures should have been in place before you put your hand on the stove and get burned by it. I feel like there's plenty of changes they've made that are the result of putting your hand on the hot stove.
3: But I don't think that taking a second plane with an abundance of caution, which I think it was, is... An instance of, hey, they never should have flown those 20 guys. The NFL said, cool, you can fly them. They weren't in intimate contact with them. They weren't sharing what the CDC says, six feet or less for 15 minutes or more, secretions or living in the same home. So go ahead and fly. To me, the one thread dangling out there where you can say we don't know about this is whether or not Stefan Gilmore divulged that he went to dinner did go to dinner and whether or not the NFL said, that's okay, we don't mind. That That is, to me, just continually being glossed
1: over. But he was on the other plane. He was on the plane of the people who had close contact. So I, they knew something. That, yeah. They had some reason. He was on that plane. So, But it's fascinating. I agree with you. There's a lot of stuff that we are learning as media, and mm-hmm. I wonder how much of it is being learned in real time, by Dr. Alan Sills, brain guy, not epidemiologist, versus things he should have known and the league should have known before we started into this season. That's why I'm making that point.
3: No, and, and that's fair, too. But I'm just saying, I think the, the bottom line is, if you have an instance where players are not divulging information so that they can play, and you and I texted a little bit about this, um, that's a betrayal in 2020. It's not just a portrayal of your teammates, it's a portrayal of your community where there are kids going to school. Again, that's why it's important to establish instead of this rumor mill that I'm involved in now and continue to come back. Did it happen or did it not? We have the spouse saying there was no dinner and media members saying there was. So what did it consist of? In line at Taco Bell or candlelight canoodling like it was Lady in the Tramp?
2: So, Tom, coaches like to talk about Controlling what they can control and not worrying about things they can't control. I also know they love schedules and they hate being thrown off schedule and thrown curveballs. And the Patriots have been thrown a ton of curveballs now over the last two weeks. How is Bill Belichick handling all this that he's having to do, manipulate, not practice everything that, they've, that was unplanned? And I know it's out of their control, but still.
3: Great question, Shereen. I think that Bill Belichick over the years has developed that reputation as to as hard as you want to make it. That's fine with me because my team can deal with it. There's going to be other teams in the league that complain, but not my team. And he's been very adamant about pointing that out. And I'll remember, Mike, Shereen, I'm sure you do too, during the Deflategate press conference, the first one, when they were talking about footballs and Belichick said, you know what? When it comes to footballs, I don't pay any attention at all. Actually... I make it as miserable as I can. I'll spray water on them. I'll roll them in the mud. This is just by way of um, illustrating that the harder Belichick can have it for his team, the better he wants it so that they are stable enough to deal with uncertainty.
1: Tom, we appreciate some of your time, as always. And, you know, you learn a lot about someone through one of these Zoom-type settings. It's good to see <laughs> that you're different from the other people that have to put all their awards and the books they've written on the shelf behind them, and you can be very humble and just have a very oh. plain, generic background. Yeah. No. Just, <laughs> did, you know, did you know that this is a guy who deserves much more Hall of Fame consideration? <laughs> <laughs> look. You know what's funny, though? Look at look at. Hold it up. Hold it up again. Hold it up again. <laughs> hold it up julian edelman okay. in 24 point and 24 point font and tom Curran. you need a magnifying glass to I'm see it underneath you've been kidding. disrespected all
0: it's right okay. uh
1: let's let's take a well we're not taking a break we're gonna say goodbye to tom and then we're gonna talk goodbye. about what we can't wait to see this weekend goodbye tom goodbye, goodbye can't wait everybody. to talk Goodbye, to you tom again. all right shereen let's get to it what can't you wait to see this weekend
2: How about Andy Dalton in a Cowboys uniform as the starting quarterback? Dak Prescott had started 69 games in a row for the Cowboys. Do you know the last quarterback not named Dak Prescott to start a game for the Cowboys, Mike?
1: It probably was Kellen Moore.
2: Hey, Kellen Moore, good answer. Offensive (laughs) coordinator for the Cowboys was the last guy to start a game for the Cowboys. Tony Romo was out of that. Uh, Game and, and Kellen Moore started for the Cowboys. So Andy Dalton came back home, be a backup. This could become something like a Ryan Tannehill. We talked a lot about quarterbacks not getting that second chance after they've been in one place a while. He's getting his second chance. This is why he came to Dallas. He said in the huddle, when he went to the huddle, Uh, replacing Dak Prescott the other day. This is why I came here. I came here to win. He has a chance to go earn a big contract and a starting job somewhere. Unlike Tannehill, it's not probably going to be here in Dallas, but somewhere else, Andy Dalton can finish out this season and has a chance to go be a starter somewhere.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, the the difference between Tannehill and Dak is, Tannehill or or Tannehill and Dalton Tannehill was able to take over that starting job no one has any illusions about that happening in Dallas but again and look Stephen Jones was on 105.3 the fan this morning talking about how the contract situation is no different they've got a hell of a decision to make and if they can't work out a deal with Dak Prescott it's a 37.68 franchise tag for next year. And uh, if they don't do that, he hits the open market. So I know there are people out there who are looking at the situation saying there's a chance he goes. And if he does, if for some reason he does, Andy Dalton maybe, depending upon how he does this year. I mean, that's going to be part of their leverage. If he plays really well and they get to the playoffs with Andy Dalton, uh, if, if Dak is going to drive a hard bargain like he always has at some point, maybe they just may. I'm not, you know, look, it, it would cut against everything they've said, but there's a lot of dominoes to fall before we get to that point. I'm going to stay with that same game. I can't wait to see Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury back in Texas because but we saw it a couple of weeks ago. And one of my great regrets this season is not recognizing that Miles Garrett back in Texas, Baker Mayfield back in Texas, Odo Beckham Jr. facing the Cowboys again would elevate the Cleveland Browns and Kevin Stefanski the coach of the team told me after the game it did elevate the Browns and I think this is going to elevate Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury and it makes for a great potential Monday night game we don't get to see Kyler Murray enough on a national stage we do on Monday night and we're going to see live all of the great things he can do and I can't wait to see it because you know Shireen he's going to be driven to go back to Texas and win
2: Mike, I haven't been to a game at AT&T Stadium, which is three miles down the road yet. I'm going to go on Monday night just because I want to see Kyler Murray live. And I can't believe I'm saying that as an Aggie, but I do. But he's 5-0 at AT&T Stadium. He won three state championships there when he went 42-0 and in his high school career at Allen, which is right down the street, less than 50 miles away. Uh, and then he went to college at A&M. They won at A&M. He got to play in that game, oklahoma Uh, won a Big 12 championship at AT AT&T Stadium. So 5-0 at AT AT&T Stadium. He's not going to be intimidated by that stadium, and I do think it's going to give both of those guys a lift. I know Cliff Kingsbury was asked this week, and he's excited to come back home. I just think they're going to play really well, and I think the Cowboys are going to have a tough time against that Cardinals team, even without Chandler Jones.
1: Up next for you, what can't you wait to see this weekend?
2: I'm going to go with with Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. And we talked a little bit about that. But it it is amazing that this is only the third time they've ever met. met. And you would think that this is maybe the last time they will ever meet. I mean, we don't know. Maybe they meet again next year since they're both in the NFC. But who knows? This could be the last meeting between these two guys and two of the greatest of all time to do it. And really, the Bucs are in a must-win situation. Brady needs a rebound. A rebound from last week's game. He needs to know what down it is, obviously. Uh, and they're already throwing some shade at him in Green Bay. Jamal Williams said today, my quarterback would never forget what down it is. <laughs> and so uh, Brady and Rogers, I think, is, is going to be all eyes on that game this week.
1: Not smart for Jamal Williams to say that. When Tom Brady has had a moment like that, do not give him any reason to turn it into being upset with you. And they won't meet up in the regular season next year unless they finish in the same spot right. in their respective divisions because this year is the the round robin tour of the NFC South by the NFC North teams and uh, next year for so if the Buccaneers win the division the Packers do they will play again next year and they may meet in the playoffs who knows I can't wait to see the next best quarterback duel on Sunday after Rodgers and Brady and it is a pretty big step down and I'm talking about Sunday not Monday night I'm talking about Nick Foles Super Bowl fifty-two MVP and Teddy Bridgewater, who was five and zero last year, who has won three in a row without Christian McCaffrey this year. The Panthers favored. It's been moving in Chicago's direction. It was three and a half. It's down to one and a half. So people are putting money on the Bears, as maybe they should, because I think being the underdogs will get the Bears even more fired up. But this has the potential to be a great game. There are two great games in the one o'clock Eastern window on Sunday. It's Pittsburgh and Cleveland, and it's Chicago and Carolina. And the rest of the games stink, frankly. Uh, And I'm going to be paying close attention to what the Bears can do with a couple of extra days to get ready against a Panthers team that somehow has won three games in a row.
2: And Chicago had a chance to go sign Teddy Bridgewater. Instead, they decided to trade for Nick Foles because he knew the offense and was going to be good right when he came in and, of course, didn't win the starting job. And now here we are with him starting, having replaced Mitchell Trubisky. But to me, Teddy Bridgewater's been a, a story, probably an underplayed story so far in the NFL with the way he's played. He's been fantastic. I mean, completing over 70% of his passes, I think he ranked second right now in completion percentage. And his yards right now through five games are the second most yards in team history. He's played great, and no one's talking about him. But if he plays greater again this week, I think people will be talking about him.
1: All right, let's take a break. We may jam in a few more of these, what we can't wait to see. We were going to answer some questions as well from the PFTPM mailbag. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. There's your daily lineup on the NBC Sports Channel on Peacock. Begins with Pro Football Talk Live, 7 a.m. Eastern. Then Dan Patrick Show, Rich Eisen Show, Brother from Another. PFT PM ends the day every day except Monday because starting this Monday, can't wait for this one, Safety Blitz with Rodney Harrison and Jack Collinsworth right after PFT PM. That's every Monday starting this Monday. Uh, What's the NFL think putting a football game up against us and Rodney and Jack? We, the ra- Sorry, NFL. You wonder why the ratings is going to be down for Bill's Chiefs on Monday. That's it's going to be because people have Peacock on. Actually, you could do a two-screen thing. You could watch us. You could watch Safety Blitz, and you can watch the game, and then you can watch the Cowboys and the Cardinals on Monday night. All right. Uh, let's answer a couple questions here before we get back to the things we can't wait to see on Sunday. And this is a good one. The PFTPM Posse account, the guy who runs it, clearly a Cowboys fan. Should the Cowboys hire Dan Quinn, the former Falcons coach, to help the defense like yesterday? He's one of the original Seattle Cover 2 scheme guys, which they've been running a version of for the past 10 years in Dallas. He could help or replace. Mike Nolan finally put together a competent defense for once. You know, Quinn can go anywhere and be a consultant for the rest of the year. And why not? Why not keep right at it? If you if you want to try to build yourself up a little bit, go embrace a challenge. Uh, Shereen, what would you think about the Cowboys making a run at Dan Quinn to get him in to, to help make the defense a little bit better or maybe a little less bad than it's been?
2: I think it would be fantastic. It would be a great move. Dan Quinn's a great defensive coordinator. We've seen that. And it's a great point about the cover, two that they've been playing in in the past. Now, I think part of the problem this year is Mike Nolan's trying to play a hybrid. He's a 3-4 guy at heart, so he's trying to play some 3-4, doesn't really have the talent for that. So he's playing some 4-3, and it's just not working. They're 27th. Uh, in total defense, and they've only forced three takeaways. They're last in turnover ratio right now, they need to force some takeaways, and they've got to get after the quarterback. Now, it's going to help Leighton Vanderash coming back, but if they continue to do what they're doing, I think Mike Nolan eventually is going to be gone, if not before the end of the season, possibly during the season, and Dan Quinn would help. I think it's a great idea for them to go out and ask for help from Dan Quinn, and he certainly can't hurt with what they're doing.
1: Dr. J144, at what point do we start wondering if Daniel Jones is a bust? Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins got less time than Jones, and their teams gave up on them. Look, still too many turnovers for Daniel Jones. We have a new coach, new coaching staff. Is is it this year for Daniel Jones, and maybe the Giants would look elsewhere next year, especially if they end up with the first overall pick and think Trevor Lawrence, Shereen. Part of the
2: problem, Mike, is we've seen so many quarterbacks take that step in the second year. Normally, you'd take the step back. You'd have the so-called sophomore jinx. But you look at what some of these quarterbacks, the Lamar Jacksons and the Patrick Mahomes and the Kyler Murrays, what these guys have done and are doing in their second seasons, and you wonder why Daniel Jones hasn't taken that second te- second step. Now, I understand the talent level isn't quite there that some of these other guys have especially Patrick Mahomes but still he's doing the same things he did last season and just to me has not improved at all and the turnovers have got to stop if he's going to stay in there if you have a high pick absolutely I think you go get a different quarterback sort of what the Cardinals did and they had Josh Rosen who cares we're going to get Kyler Murray
1: Tough questions, too, in New York. You know, there's talk about Dave Gettleman being on the hot seat. I don't like firing a GM and keeping a head coach, and I don't like the idea of getting rid of the coach and the GM after one year with Joe Judge. But as you lose and lose and lose, it gets harder to make rational decisions, and you just want change for the sake of change. A-Red Zone out. Is Matt Rule on course for Coach of the Year, Shereen? I'd say Rule... And I'd say Kevin Stefanski right now, neck and neck, are the two finalists based on five weeks subject to change.
2: Right there with you. I I love what Matt Rule's done. Come from Baylor. He turned Baylor around very quickly. If you remember the scandal they had at Baylor, I didn't think anybody was going to be able to turn that program out well and do it as quick as he did. And he did it. I absolutely have him probably number one right now, and Kevin Stefanski is number two, but it's neck and neck. They've both done terrific jobs.
1: It's amazing that the Panthers have won in a mode where they're clearly rebuilding and it makes the Jets look even worse. And the last question, the most important one of the day from at Matt Casey nine. I don't recognize that Twitter handle. Mike, how's your fantasy team doing so far? He's asking this question because I was on pardon my take and every time I'm on pardon my take, they try to come up with a way to get me to talk about my fantasy team so they can say nobody cares about your fantasy team. This time around, they Nobody got more creative your fantasy team. than ever before. They got extremely creative. It involved betrayal of trust, which I'm not happy about. But check out Pardon My Take. I had a fun conversation with those guys, but they did find a way to get me to talk about my fantasy team, unbeknownst to me. All right, give me one more thing you're looking forward to this weekend, Shereen.
2: Well, I'm going to go back to Miles Garrett, but just the fact that he is second in the league with six sacks, I think he's going to come out and have a huge game against Ben Roethlisberger. And I know they're worried about him and double-teaming him, but you look at what he did against Dallas. It was really good. I think he does that again.
1: Aaron Donald, Sunday Night Football, how many sacks will he get? He got four last week, and he told reporters yesterday he was single-teamed on every play where he got a sack. Moral of the story, double-team Aaron Donald. That's it for this week. See you Monday, everybody. Have a great weekend.
3: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me
0: play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh